So by way of introduction uh, this morning to our, I don't want to call them guest speakers because they're not, they're not guests to the Billabong, but we have uh, Greg and Adrian are going to share. And the reason for that is that um, from August through to October, we are going to have one Sunday when we're all together, including the church plant team, where uh, we uh, hear a message on one of the, the values that are core to the life of our church. So last Sunday, we started this uh, thinking about Jesus at the centre, which is the first of our core values. And then what we wanted to do, uh, the, the leadership team wanted to do, was to have the other Sundays, where we're in two places, one, um, the church plant team meeting separately this morning, um, is to have some members of the congregation uh, who would be able to share just how they seek to live these out. And so um, each time when we speak about one of the core values, the following week, we're going to have a few of you share, in some cases some pairs of people, other times individuals. And uh, so we've invited Adrian and Greg to come and share this morning um, on how they go about trying to keep Jesus at the centre of their lives. And I'm really looking forward to this morning. We've got another little uh, thing we'll share on a, on a video later as well, a um, little interview that I did during the week. And um, we'll also spend a little bit of time praying together and, and thinking and discussing, a bit of time to digest. So um, prepare your hearts, lean in uh, physically if you need to, but I mean... <laughs> emotionally and spiritually, just uh, to receive what the Lord would have. Uh, first of all, I'm going to have Rhiannon read the passage that Adrian, passages that Adrian will reflect on, and, um, and then Adrian will come and speak. Do we have <laughs> cool. Um, our first reading today is Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Um, after he came down from teaching on the hillside, massive crowds began following him. Suddenly, a leper walked up to Jesus and threw himself down before him in worship and said, Lord, you have the power to heal me if you really want to. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the leper and said, of course I want to heal you. Be healed. And instantly, all signs of leprosy disappeared. On hearing this, Jesus... Uh, it's a new... It's a new verse, uh, chapter 14, 13 to 21. On hearing this, Jesus slipped away privately by boat to be alone. But when the crowds discovered he had sailed away, they emerged from all the nearby towns and followed him on foot. So when Jesus landed, he had a huge crowd waiting for him. Seeing so many people, his heart was deeply moved with compassion towards them. He healed all the sick who were in the crowd. Later that afternoon, the disciples came to Jesus and said, it's going to be dark soon, and the people are hungry, but there's nothing to eat here in, the, in this desolate place. You should send the crowds away to the nearby villages to buy themselves some food. They don't need to leave, Jesus responded. You can give them something to eat. They answered, but all we have is five barely loaves and two fish. Let me have them, Jesus replied. Then he said, then he had everyone sit down on the grass, and he then took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up into heaven, gave thanks to God, and broke the bread into pieces. He then gave it to his disciples, who in turn gave it to the crowds. And everyone ate until they were satisfied, for the food was multiplied in front of their eyes. They picked up the leftovers and filled up twelve baskets full. There were about five thousand men who were fed, in addition to many women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Um, so, I'm Adrian. 
Um, yeah, some of you may not know me, but I've actually been around for a long time. Um, 60 years, not 60 years at the billable. But, uh, I've been around for 60 years. And um, I, um, I'm, I'm still young enough that I can actually use my phone as notes, but I've got paper in my pocket just in case the batteries fail, so I've been around long enough to know that these things fail. I'll just bring that down a little bit, and then that way you'll be able to pick you up. Ah, okay. So I'm actually shorter than Luke, so... <laughs> so I've been asked to share my thoughts on what it means to have Jesus in, in the centre of my life and why it is important to have Jesus in the centre of my life. But before we go any further, um, I must make a full disclosure. Uh, and in the interests of full disclosure, uh, I confess that Jesus is not the centre of my life, or at least he's not always the centre of my life. Um, I, I don't know if that gels with anyone here, but yeah, it, it can be hard at times. And so, but notwithstanding some of the discussions over the next five minutes, um, Jesus isn't the centre of my life all the time. No. So before we go any further, let's contemplate what actually does it mean to have Jesus at the centre. Uh, I mean, there's probably a, an inner sort of feeling of what it means, but what does it really mean? So I've got some analogies. I don't have any... Uh, dictionary uh, uh, definitions. So my first one is compass bearing. So when you're at high school and you go orienteering, at least that was the last time I went orienteering, it was a long time ago, you got your map, you got a compass and uh, you know you want to go somewhere and you, you look at your map and your compass and you say, okay, I need to go in this direction. Um, and so you look at that bearing, you know, 50 degrees, and you line up something in the distance, and you say, okay, yep, that's 50 degrees, and you head in that direction. So um, you go to that landmark, and Jesus is our landmark. So that's, that's number one. He's, he's what we sight on in our journey. So um, my second analogy, which probably will make sense to most people, is the solar system. And we all know that the sun is the centre of the solar system. That's S-U-N. Of course, if you spell it as S-O-N, then that's sort of true as well. Um, Jesus is in the middle. and But there's a twist in this analogy. So, um, and that is that all the planets are moving. Um, it's not a static thing, it's dynamic. But rather than just sort of spinning off into space or sort of crashing into the sun, they just sort of quite happily go about their business just orbiting the sun. And um, so, how is that? And the secret is gravity. Uh, gravity is a force of mutual attraction that all objects with mass have. And, um, and again, while analogies aren't perfect, I think this one is actually pretty good. Because for me, for Jesus to be the centre is partly the reality. 
Um, and he is the middle, but he's got this attraction about him that sort of keeps us going around. So even though I might look in different directions at time, he's still in the middle. That's just a fact of the universe. It's a reality. Jesus is the centre of all things. He made them. So that is analogy number two. Analogy number three, and I got this from a, a lady who's very dear to me and she shared this with me, and it was so special that I actually have a video of it. So if you could uh, activate the video um, and listen away. He's going, who's these strange people? Oh, I know, I know, yeah, goes. Oh, okay, I think we're done on that one. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind watching it again, but yeah, okay, so Yanhui was in that, that video, but it wasn't actually about Yanhui, it was actually about Ruby. Ruby knows, Ruby knows what it means, because we are the centre of Ruby's life. Uh, absolutely. She just adores us. And, you know, she's not perfect and she's just a little dog. But, you know, when we go away, and we'd actually been away for seven weeks and she just went bananas, she, that, that's it. She just, she understands. If you've got somebody that you love and they're the centre of your life, that's the sort of fuss you make. So it's about the relationship. It's not necessarily about what you do. So um, I had a section on things that could go wrong, but um, I'm actually going to skip that. So um, I'm going to focus more on how do we keep Jesus at the centre. So as I've already said, he actually always is the centre by definition. And gravity, that mutual attraction that mass has, actually keeps us in orbit around him. That just is what it is. It doesn't matter what I believe or where I look, where I point my, my telescope. Jesus is right there in the centre. And it's really sometimes about refocusing. Now, I have another story. And... Um, Here's a family, we're sitting around the table eating dinner, as families sometimes do. And we were talking, I don't remember the exact context of the discussion, but I do remember where it led, and we started talking about heroes. And I talked about some of my heroes, and I was chatting with Jaden, and uh, who's our son? We've got a son called Jaden, so if you didn't know. And... I said, so Jaden, who's your hero? And I expected him to say some footballer's name because he was football mad or a cricketer's name or maybe some superhero. Uh, it was a few years ago. And then sort of quick as a flash, without any prompting, he says, Dad, you're my hero. And oh, 
<laughs> yeah, that melts every parent's heart. And um, he's a bit older now and he probably sees the reality of his parents. But at the time, you know, he, 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 he knew it was the centre of his life. But, you know, the trick is about keeping Jesus the centre and, 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 you know, this is the focus, is I want to be like you, Jesus. So, again, it goes back to that, that mutual attraction. You know, I, I'm, I'm fallible and, and I make lots of mistakes. And, again, going back to Jesus being the centre is because when I look at Jesus, I look at someone who is very, very special. And some of the things that he said draws me to him. And so the reason I chose the verses that I did, and there are so many more I could have chosen. The first one uh, from um, Matthew 8 is a leper comes up to Jesus and, you know, lepers were outcasts. Nobody went near them, nobody touched them. But this leper, he understood who Jesus was and he says, Jesus... If you want to, you can heal me. And, and, and I just love Jesus' response. Yeah, I want to. Jesus cared. And, and that's one of the things that really draws me to Jesus, is that the way that he looks for those who society think is nothing, and he says, yeah, I want to heal you. I want to touch you. You are important to me. And um, the second reading uh, from Matthew 14, um, we see Jesus and he says, on hearing this, now in the reading it doesn't actually tell us what Jesus heard, what he had actually heard was that his cousin John had just had his head lopped off and so Jesus found that very disturbing. And so Jesus, he walks away to be alone. But the crowds loved Jesus and they found where he was and so they followed him. So what's Jesus' response? Hey, guys, leave me alone. I've had a bit of a rough day. I've had some bad news. No. What, what the Bible says is that seeing so many people, his heart was deeply moved with compassion toward them. So he healed all the sick who were there in the crowd. Now, we can't necessarily do that ourselves, but we can visit the sick sometimes. We pray for people and God miraculously heals them. But it's not that 100% you butte gotcha that Jesus seemed to have. Jesus loved the people. That was his motivation. And again later, they were hungry, and his disciples, being very practical people like disciples can be, said, uh, Jesus, um, it's getting late. People are hungry. We should probably send them away. And Jesus, uh, being who Jesus is, said, um, you feed them. 
you give them something to eat. And the disciples sort of, mm, no, we don't actually have much. And Jesus says, look, give me what you got. And um, they started breaking up and sharing it round. And they had 12 baskets full by the end of it. And another miracle. But Jesus' focus was that they were hungry and they went away full. Jesus cared for their needs. Um, I want to be like you, Jesus. I'm not perfect. But I think having Jesus in the centre of our lives means refocusing on that relationship. It means looking to the centre and being like him. Thank you. Uh, the next reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 6. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Thanks is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Andrew. Thanks, Adrian. That's fantastic. Um, same age as Adrian. I still can't believe I have the same number of digits against my birthdays and what this year looks like. Um, I'm going to, um, again, have a spoiler alert. Um, Jesus at the centre, I fall way short. Um, I think that um, I'm, I'm challenged by the, just the terms, Jesus at the centre. Um, I'm going to try and hit four things today before I forget before you forget too. So my little outline is that I'd like to look briefly at the, about the value of the billabong of that says Jesus at the centre. What does that mean to me? Um, what's happened in my last 12 months um, and how has Jesus at the centre connected to that? And then, so what? How can I encourage anyone here um, on uh, around that? So... Jesus at the centre, great analogy on um, the solar system. I'll remember, remember that. Thanks, Adrian. Um, I've actually tacked on a couple of little words beyond that that says Jesus at the centre of life and peace, which is what I'm discovering um, in this, this last little while, that uh, you can go off in a world of death and destruction and your own sense of what you want to do, and that is not where true life and true peace lives at all. So um, the billabong had a, a whole process of what do we value, what, what's important to us. Um, and, yeah, the gospel. The gospel is life and peace. The gospel is, is it's so different from what you will have poured on you from the media and the news and the negative stuff, but it's life. Um, and... The Bible and God, Jesus, however you connect all those pieces together, is is in the middle of it all, and that's fantastic. Um, we want to be disciples, and we want to make disciples. How do you do that? Um, first of all, it has to be internalised, and that's to love God and to love others. And who's good at that? My hand's sort of way down here. Um, forgiving others, who's good at that? Again, my hand goes down. Um, spreading the gospel, yep, got a long way to go there. 
um, and then sharing the Holy Spirit and, and all those things to me, loving God, loving others, forgiving others. How do I forgive my, my brother, my sister, my person around me, whatever it is that's a challenge uh, to, to live and put into work. Um, giving out the word, sharing it. I had a trip this morning with an Uber driver and was wondering, what do I tell him? Coming to a church service, yes. Uh, what do you do? Look for work. What sort of work have you done? Environmental, what's that mean? Pollution. And off he went into the world. Of, and I said, we can do better. Just a worldly perspective of, yeah, we can do better than that. And um, this man hadn't probably spoken to someone for a long time and was had an audience and was able to and the car was arriving, I'm thinking, we're going to sit here for another 10 minutes. I've, what, what, do I get out? And I, I could have cut him off. I could have said, well, come into church. Um, but that wasn't the right thing to do this morning. Um, perhaps I missed an opportunity there. But So the value of Jesus at the centre and how does that work in, in the world? Um, my last 12 months, I'd like to erase and start again. It's been a battle on a huge number of fronts for me. Um, and and that's, that's irrelevant to everyone here because you, every one of you has your own collection of individual things that you're fighting, battling, struggling through, and they are physical, they could be emotional, they could be financial, they could be mental health, they could be relationships, they could be just stuff that you're going and battling with every day, and that's really hard. So um, uh, this is me, in a sense. Um, I've had to learn the world of... There's a term I've put to all this that says overwhelm, and that's where uh, I like to have 10, 10 emails in my inbox, and if I get more than that, it's too much, and I like to strip them out and act on the thing, so I've actually got nine or ten that I can manage. And when it gets 15 or 20, that's just like, all right, I, I need to put my head down and get in there. Um, I don't think I can handle ten things at once, but if it gets 15, then it's overwhelm and it, it's too much. So desperation sets in and clinging to a hope of a, a lifeline upwards. And that's been a discovery for me, which has been a surprise in this agony of, of stuff, that there is a thread, it's very thin, and it is very important. So, surprise, surprise, others have been here before, have been here before me, and they've written about it. A Bible, <laughs> hand up a Bible, hand up your phone, go to Psalms, go to Psalm 25, 34, 6, 38, you name it. Uh, and placing, yeah, I have a cross in my in my kitchen, and I've taken burdens 
and put them there. I can't do this. And overnight, or over a couple of nights, letting things just sit, um, some situations have turned around. Not all, but some. They've surprised me. Some people that I was struggling with have changed their perspective on the situation, and that really stunned me. Well, I've changed my understanding of the situation. And that's been good, and that's shown me that there's life and there's peace. And this message that we carry is just outrageously stupid on one level, but surprisingly powerful. And when, 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 when the doors open and a person's ready, they will hear it. And, and that suddenly lands, and I pray that it would land beyond us and beyond what we're doing. So um, how can I encourage you? Um, words of songs, strange old hymns, strange old hymns that you learn as a kid. Those words come back. Yeah. Blessed assurance and um, uh, pilgrim on uh, pilgrim in a foreign land. Uh, there is content and there is life in those words. The people wrote them. They felt them. They lived them. Praise God. Again, it's, it's totally, totally illogical. And yet it has life and peace in smite inside those praises. When the, when the tough stuff hits, the praising of the Lord is, 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 is an antidote. I don't understand it. I just don't get it. But it's there and it's really good. Um, the full armour of God, this belt of truth, the breastplate of not my righteousness, but his righteousness. The salvation of the, provided by Christ. The feet fitted with breadness that comes from the gospel of peace. The shield of faith, the shield to withstand those arrows. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Again, I'm completely inadequate, entirely confused and stressed and wrestling. And it's there, there's an answer. So, um, we in the Western world don't like emotion, and I have to apologise to my, I have to tell my dad to stop apologising when he gets emotional. So, thank you for listening. And um, I know everyone here is, is dealing, I don't know many of you are dealing with stuff. Uh, and, and I really ask that the Lord would help and he would arrive and, and bless and thank you. Thank you, Greg. I really appreciate your honour sharing, mate. We're going to move into a time of just having a little chat to each other and pray. And But I wanted to mention, because I forgot last week, there's a reason for the colours. As you just see one at the moment, everything else is greyed out. There's a reason for the colours associated with each of our values. And the reason we've chosen this sort of orangey red uh, for, for Jesus at the centre is that he is our red hot centre. You know, there's something about that that flame in the middle. and And that means 
not that, not that our faith is this thing where we're only uh, good Christians if, if we are on fire. It actually means that Jesus is the one who is our red hot centre and whether we feel like that's rubbing off on us and we're on fire for him or whether we feel like we're in a cold place or a dark place, we can still look to him because he's the flame in the middle. And so as we uh, turn to each other in just little groups of three, four, five, however it works for you at the moment, um, I want you to just reflect. We're just going to keep it personal today, not about sort of our church, but plenty more weeks to be thinking about how to weave about these values. But for you, what what is the what is the one thing for you in this season of your life to consciously choose to place Jesus at the centre? Um, if if you're willing to share that with just a few people around you and then I'll prompt in a, in a couple of minutes or three, four, five minutes time to say, let's let's just say a prayer for each other now. And then we've got one more thing we'll come back to. So turn to a few people next to you. Um, you know, what, What's something that you are feeling you can co- consciously, practically do to, uh, to keep Jesus in the centre of your life in this season? All righty? So... Last week, last Sunday in my message, I mentioned uh, this event, this um, thing that happened halfway across the world in Wilmore, Kentucky, um, where God just seemed to move in a powerful, unique way among university students. Um, Some of you know of this as the Asbury outpouring or Asbury revival. Those terms are thrown around, but really it was um, marked by a sense of a holiness, uh, a sense of God's presence being just so much more tangible and, 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 and present than the ordinary life. And, um, and uh, I actually got the chance to meet one of the faculty at the university a few weeks back. And uh, three days ago, I was able to jump on a Zoom call with Robbie and, and ask him a few questions to ask him to share with our church. So Robbie is an Australian, but he's living in America and was there at the time. So I was able to record this to play for us before we then head into a uh, time of just responding in song, in worship, in prayer. So turn your eyes to the screen um, and um, to yeah, hear from uh, Rob. Hey, Robbie, thanks so much for giving us your time uh, today to uh, share with the Billabong family. I know it's about 10 p.m. where you are. Um, just appreciate you, you uh, doing this. Um, the Asprey uh, revival or outpouring, it's been called at times, is um, obviously something that drew a lot of attention from uh, all around the world, really, and seems to be having an impact um, you know, as, um, uh, you know, all, all across the place, sparking a greater hunger in people. Um, you're on staff at Asbury uh, at the university. You, you saw how it all went down. Um, what sparked it? Like, how did it How did it come about? Yeah, and um, great, great to be here, mate, and, um, and good day to my Australian family. Um, how did it start? So it, it occurred on February 8th. We have compulsory chapel um, at Asbury University. It's a bit different to Australian universities um, because it's it's um, rooted in its Christian heritage. So we have compulsory chapels on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Just happened to be the case that on February the eighth, which was the Wednesday, um, chapel went on as normal. And um, I must reiterate, uh, students or anyone 
for that matter, if they were told to go to chapel compulsory, <laughs> um, they probably wouldn't have the heart for it. So I just really wanted to share that to set the scene. And um, uh, sermon went on. It, uh, my mate was preaching that day, and admittedly he would say it wasn't a blow-away sermon. Um, but um, they ended. But what happened, Luke, was that there was literally just a small group, 19 students that chose to linger behind. And, um, and that lingering led to just a continual worship. Um, I need to also reiterate it wasn't, there was no fanfare about it. There's no smoke machines. There was not even PowerPoint or a projector. There was no um, electrical instruments at all, notwithstanding I love that stuff. It was just one piano and one acoustic guitar and 19 students that were lingering. And, mate, they were just truly hungry and thirsty. And um, that slowly transitioned into students just choosing themselves to openly confess and repent of things that were deep in their heart because there was this desire to be, um, there was this spirit of holiness and um, and that just snowballed. Um, it went on for days on end to February the 23rd and um, every TV network ended up coming in. The world was fascinated by it. And um, Jesus was on the front page of every major newspaper in the United States. And uh, we had uh, estimates between anywhere between 70 to 100,000 people that came through over those um, over those days. So it was pretty astounding, mate. And um, as I as I mentioned to you before, I, I don't think I've ever experienced something where the presence of God was so tangible in a place, not in a very hyper way, but in a very gentle and um, uh very comforting but also very holy and reverent way yeah yeah from everything that i've heard um the whole thing was really uh this this just complete focus on god and what god was doing and and um and almost uh making sure that people didn't get in the way of that um so we've been yeah. thinking about uh for the last few Sundays, what it means to place Jesus at the center, uh, one of our core values, um, and to, to do that in all things. Um, this this event, this thing that happened, this outpouring, uh, was clearly a space where Jesus was 100% the focus. Um, I was wondering if you could share, what was that like at the time? Like, you know, what was, what was different to any other ordinary, you know, chapel or church service? Like, what was it like with this, you know, complete just focus on Jesus? Yeah, that's that's a great one. I've had lots of time to think about that, but you know, the the most obvious thing that comes to mind straight away was there was this heavy sense of we we call it radical humility that was so pronounced um, in the chapel and in all the whole town really during that time. Um, people were when when I say radical humility, it kind of gets manifested in two ways. One, people were genuinely um, um, fearful, but also very reverent of the Lord's presence. So you had people that were so careful about stepping onto the platform, If and these were only students really, that they even felt the need to be consecrated in prayer hours before, and, and they would have to feel that there was purity in their heart before they stepped onto the platform and if they they didn't feel that they wouldn't go on it and they they had full trust of one another to call out to one another if they believed something was someone's heart was not right 
So that, that humility to be able to, um, uh, be absolutely pure before the Lord was really astounding and, uh, one to behold. Even speakers and whatnot, there was this heavy sense of just trying to not take anything away from, um, Jesus and, um, because God had distracted us in that moment and Jesus was so magnified that there was so much worry about anything from taking, taking away the gloss of that at all from what the Lord was doing. Um, the second thing that was really pronounced as well was I mentioned the word before, but this real pronounced, um, uh, desire for holiness. And when I say that it was really expressed through people wanting to confess and repent. Uh, of anything that they felt had been anchoring them down in their spirituality to the Lord. In, in some sense, confession and repentance felt so freeing, which is so different to society, right? We're, we're always feeling we're going to get judged from our fellow brothers or sisters, but there was a sense of freedom that came through just confessing and repenting and um, knowing uh, and being affirmed that our, our identity was as children of God, yeah. all of that mixed together, mate. It's um, it it was really um, as I mentioned before, just the, the presence of God through all of that was so tangible, mate. And um, you could be there, you, you you're there thinking you're there for only fifteen minutes inside the room in the in the hall, and um, you look at the watch, you've been there eight hours because there was just this. There was just this joy about being in that yeah. constant um, uh, view of, of the Lord's humility, which was rubbing off on us, and being in a posture of um, holiness and repentance and confession towards Him. Oh, that's that's great. Thanks for sharing. Hey, um, you know, clearly God doesn't do stuff like this just uh, just because, um, and and it sounds as if. You know, this is sparking a, um, a great hunger across the world, really. Certainly, I've heard across uh-huh. college campuses, but all, all over the place. I mean, in light of what happened there in, in February, what do you think, um, what do you sense God might be saying to local churches, local uh, communities of faith um, at this time? Oh, mate, um, um, I'll kick that off by just saying that C.S. Law's quote, um, as lands on the move, mate, and look, I've, I've just... I'm back in the States now, but I've, I've just come back from Australia where I met you, um, and had the absolute, um, humble joy of going around to testify to around a few cities, but I've also been around Southeast Asia and Singapore, Thailand, a few other places over this, um, summer break, the US summer break. Mate, God, it, the Lord has already orchestrated something and there's so many churches that just seem to be hungry and expectant and what, what the as nothing's about asbury we didn't do anything and i really need to emphasize that but what he demonstrated to i think really the western church there was revivals aren't relegated to history and and um he hears our prayers and i really feel it's just emboldened the church to pray and to you know really wear that chronicles verse humble themselves and turn from our wicked ways and the lord will hear from heaven and Look, I just, um, I, I know so many churches now, even in the areas of the world that are so, um, uh, where Christianity is so negligible and these small, tiny remnants in those countries are just suddenly emboldened to pray once more and believing the Lord can move. And I've seen too many sparks, mate, from 
probably about the dozen cities I've gone to over the past couple of months, even without hearing the testimony of the Asbury outpouring, the Lord has already in in the years before, one one or so years before in some of these churches, he's already been stirring this hunger. Um, and again, a lot of it has been in the same posture of humility, radical humility, a deplatformization of church, a decelebritization of church, where the only person being revered now is not anyone based on their speaking gift, singing gift or whatever, but simply Jesus fan. And um it's it's so beautiful to watch. And um seeing the church unified behind that, it's um it, it's mate, it, it's what we want to be around for, right? So so Aslan's on the move, man. I just want to encourage you, encourage your people. Awesome. Thanks so much for making the time tonight. Uh Rob, appreciate it. Happy to, mate. Bless you, mate.